0: Hello and welcome to Smart TV. Now, I know many of you were not expecting me to be here this week, but I couldn't resist joining the formidable Caroline Frost for our Eurovision special. Hello, Caroline.
1: Hello there. Hello, why am you me? Nice to be here.
0: Uh, I've just called you formidable, but I think there is a, a more appropriate title for you, which is Queen of Eurovision, Eurovision expert, Eurovision, academic, Eurovision, insert any kind of hyperbolic word there?
1: Oh, fantastic. Aficionado. I think informed fan is is my humble offering. (laughs) Yes, I mean, the queen of Eurovision, well, we'll get to her. But I think that there are people who deserve that epithet slightly more fittingly. But certainly informed fan, I'm very happy to go with.
0: Run me through what's going to be on telly this week in terms of Eurovision. And then let's deep dive.
1: Goodness me. Well, I mean, it's been a bit of a warm up in the week ever since the coronation, which, frankly, I considered the warm up event. The (laughs) real peace, the real crowning will occur in Liverpool on Saturday the 13th of May when uh, the UK is hosting... On behalf of Ukraine, we've been told that a few times now by the BBC. Clearly, they are keen that, yes, it's a fantastic opportunity for Liverpool as the host city, for the UK as the host nation. But there is a certain etiquette and seemliness to recognise that the only reason this is happening is because Ukraine won it last year and are sadly unable to host because of logistics, because of war in their country. So we are effectively holding the coats for Ukraine's party which is taking place in Liverpool on Saturday night. I mean, the BBC have thrown the light entertainment budget at this. I don't know if there'll be anything left for shiny floor shows come the autumn because, my goodness, turn on the radio. Radio 2 are basically owning it, host radio station. BBC One, the One show's come from there. I think Cheryl Baker from Bucks Viz has turned up in EastEnders. I mean, you just can't turn for Eurovision. I do suggest... Anybody not that interested just keeps their sofas turned to the wall for a few more days (laughs) because clearly this is an opportunity that they don't want to miss. Okay, so excuse me for my ignorance, but
0: why has the UK gone Eurovision crazy? And I ask because I feel like up until last year, Eurovision was very kind of uh, fan led. And then because we came second, which seemed unprecedented, no, normally we, we do terribly. Is that why we're going crazy?
1: In recent years, we've done terribly. We'll get to that. So, yes, uh, let's talk about last year. A f- few years in the wilderness, out of those clouds came the sunbeam, the, the one-man-walking sunbeam that is Sam Ryder. Uh, two things to say. Into the competition, there was a new seriousness, possibly post-Brexit, possibly post-our isolation, on the European stage, on the world stage, and awareness that we should use these platforms of soft power, cultural power, where we have them. So there was a new attitude with which the UK went about finding their artists. Now, this this is new. And they found Sam Ryder, who had a huge TikTok following, a huge social media presence. The song itself was classy. I mean, you're talking Amy Wadge sitting down to write it. She's written big hits with Ed Sheeran in the past. So they suddenly... They knew what they were doing. And then we throw in Sam's own beautiful, contagious, infectious enthusiasm, his attitude and his performance on the night. Everything came together. The bigger question you're asking is, why hasn't this happened before? Exactly. For too long, the UK, after the 60s, we had a tide of success. We had Sandy Shaw. We had Cliff Richard doing quite well, runner-up. And of course, we had our, our winners with Bucks Fizz, with Katrina and the Waves. But generally, what we've seen the last couple of decades, there's been a too-cool-for-school attitude. So while the UK, as a pop behemoth, very much um, punches above its size of weight, most recently, you think of the hitters, the take that's Adele, Ed Sheeran. None of that represented at Eurovision. Instead, we've thrown... Bonnie Tyler, we've thrown Engelbert Humperdinck, Electro Velvet, who didn't even seem to be participating in the same competition as everyone else. Along with that, you had Terry Wogan's very tongue-in-cheek commentary for many, many years, defining Eurovision for millions of viewers, not just in the, the UK, but worldwide. The Australian audience picked up his commentary. And while they noted his sarcasm, I don't think they necessarily received his fondness for the occasion. So they kind of followed his lead. It became a thing of mirth, a thing to poke fun at. And then of course, now which came first, the LGBT community Mm. grabbing it as their own, as a place of inclusivity and camp and high extravaganza. And suddenly it's othered. And it's taken somebody like Sam Ryder to pull it back into the mainstream and to make us realize that there really is something for everybody in that competition.
0: I wonder, when did you first start watching it? Why does it have such a big hold for you? Because I know, listeners, um, a little tidbit into Caroline's personal life. You have a Eurovision party every year.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do. For sure So when did that
0: start? Tell me the history of Caroline
1: and Eurovision. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I've always watched it. I can remember watching it. You know, when I was a little, little thing, I remember those skirts coming off the Bucks Fizz and then Bardo trying to do well the year after. So that was my kind of entry into it. The Johnny Logan years, we'll get to those. The Ireland years. Celine Dion, I discovered at Eurovision and promptly went out and bought all her French-speaking albums. Mm -hmm. Um, I once met her and her brother called me an early believer. I think that was the day I felt I could retire from Celebrity (laughs) Watch. And then, funnily enough, it took moving to Australia where Mm -hmm. there is a huge audience. And my goodness, they are dedicated. They stay up overnight. The ones who care really care. And I was watching it with some friends and it was 2010, and I thought I want to go home. It took watching Eurovision in Australia for me oh to realise I wanted to come home to the to Europe, to the UK. And so ever since then, I have had a big old party, and I take it very seriously. I mean, some guests make the mistake; they only make it once of turning up thinking it's a party with Eurovision on somewhere in the corner. No, 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 no. no <laughs> you get handed your score sheet. You get asked for your contribution and you get asked for your votes throughout the night. And there is a prize and sometimes a wooden spoon at the end of the night. So it's a very serious business. It is my Christmas party and my birthday, all, all coming at once every May.
0: I want to ask, because I know you you touched upon it there, how it became, you know, when I think of Eurovision, I think massively of kind of the LGBTQ community. Mm. And then also, you know, we saw last year with Ukraine, it felt like everyone came together to show this solidarity. It's not supposed to be about politics, but it feels like it is,
1: is that fair to say? Well, what's really funny, the great paradox, for sure it's not meant to be about politics, but it is. Let me tell you a little bit of just about the the wonderful coincidence of its very beginning, the creation back in 1956. It was all about the technology. Suddenly there was this great tele technology, which meant countries could be buzzed into each other and that they could communicate with each other live. And very interestingly, the six countries who first competed, the first lineup. If I tell you they are Belgium, France, West Germany, Italy, Luxembourg and Netherlands, what what brings them together? What unites them? Well, they are the same countries in 1956 who only a month later went on to have a meeting to discuss forming some sort of, I don't know, customs union, some kind of European community, which then went on to become the EU. So uh, you say it's not political, but ever since day one, it's been a twin, a companion to the EU. And of course, that means every country in it has just as complicated a relationship with Eurovision as it does with the EU itself. So you say it's not political, they do their best. The idea is that overt political statements are banned and they have this very Orwellian sounding reference group to enforce that. So, for example, back in 2009, Georgia had a catchy disco ditty, but the lyrics, we don't want to put in, get it? See what they did? It sounded Uh, a little bit dissident to a trained ear. So, So that got binned. But others, one of the great charms of the contest is spotting those political statements that get to sneak under the rug and get past the reference group. So, for example, positively, 2001, Estonia were desperate to join the EU. They made a wonderful effort and they won. And their prime minister, in fact, said, we freed ourselves through song. And they joined the EU. Amazing. Turkey did the opposite. They spat the dummy, 2013. And they, in fact, left the competition and started their own contest. And as we know, Turkey... Has become one of those populist outliers on the sort of European Asian political front as well. So there's a very helpful mirror. Seventy four, Abba winning in for Waterloo in the UK in Brighton, in fact. Uh, Never mind that. Meanwhile, over in Portugal, they had a song uh, which I shall translate. I shall not attempt to say the Portuguese (laughs) title, but it's called "After Goodbye," and this became literally the call to revolution, played on the radio. Two weeks later, it was the signal for a coup d'etat in that country and a brand new government. So don't tell me that politics isn't up front and centre. It's all over it. And of course, I think we'd all be a bit worried if Cyprus and Greece didn't give each other twelve points, yes, we all groan at the inevitability of it. But I think anybody booking um, a Mediterranean holiday might get a little bit nervous if they didn't. What's going on? Mm. So, so there's—it's a canary in the in the coal mine. It's a lovely little sort of torchlight, just just showing to the the people who are interested and educated what's going on well okay so be straight with me then do you think the uk has
0: suffered because of politics or bad music
1: (laughs) well i mean that is that's our get out right has been forever (laughs) so what can i tell you we're very good at coming runner up we've finished second a record 16 times And we have the record, I think, as well still, although I need to check this is up to date, the longest running string of top five placings. But of course, that is sort of back weighted before the competition grew and before all these other countries started entering and looking after each other a bit more. I mean, the most famous for me, which I remember fondly, 1988, Scott Fitzgerald. This, I mean, there's nothing more camp than this combination of elements. Scott Fitzgerald Came second with a song written by Bruce Forsyth's daughter called "Go." Very nice song. Do seek it out on YouTube. Came second by one point to Celine Dion singing "Naparte Pas moi. I'm not sure there's ever been a more ultimate Eurovision sum it up moment than that. <laughs> but certainly we've had our winners: Bucks Fizz, Katrina and the Waves. Most recently, nothing since '98. But it's very hard to tell because, as we've said, we don't send our best. We have uh, bands like Electro Velvet, we have artists like Bonnie Tyler sort of phoning it in. No offense, Bonnie, but I sense she was back on the plane before the, the points even came in. But we mm. are really missing a trick. Tellingly, 2003, poor old Gemini, who just, I think they had two singers and they kind of started in different keys. So it was a little bit of a roll down the hill. But yes, we got Poix, but that was the same year that Tony Blair led us into Iraq. And Europe, as we know, disapproved of that. Was it a terrible song or were they very disapproving of what we were doing on the world stage? Very hard to tell when we send such rubbish But I would say we're missing a trick. So more recently, the band Blue failed to impress the Brits back home with their 2011 entry, which was called I Can, not the strongest song on their album. But um, they got 12 points from Bulgaria and turned that into a comeback tour in Europe. So, as I've said, we've been ignoring it, overlooking it at our peril. So...
0: Our nearest neighbour, Ireland, mm. always seemed to do really well. So do you think that's because, I mean, the Irish have a charm, no? Or do you think it's it's deeper grained than that?
1: Well, yes. For a few years, Ireland kind of was our Greece-Cyprus, but that has certainly faded away. For a while, they just had the magic formula. They've won seven times. And their homegrown hero, Johnny Logan, is Mr. Eurovision. There's one person, nobody disputes this, because he won twice in the 80s with What's Another Year and Hold Me Now. Hold Me Now in 1987 is still regarded the most objectively beautiful Eurovision winner ever. And he won it, and then he won again as a songwriter in the 90s, so that's why he's got his title. They actually won in the 90s three times in a row, And it got to the point where they were getting a little bit scared of winning because it cost so much to put on. Katrina and the Waves, who won in 97 when it was in Ireland once again, she said it was like a barn dance. And the money that got spent by RTE, the Irish broadcaster, threatened to break the bank. So they started to think, don't send our best. But since the audience vote came in, they have fared less well. And poor, poor old uh, Ireland didn't even make it through from the semi-final this year. So they're not going to be at the final on Saturday night. So what do you think then is the magic formula
0: for a song to win Eurovision?
1: Oh my goodness, if I could bottle that. For years, (laughs) it was a big old power ballad with a key change. But it's got so diverse because we've had these Eastern European countries taking part. And when you get winners from Dana from Ireland to Dana International, Johnny Logan to Lordi from Finland, and they're all... Eurovision winners, it becomes a little bit harder to pin it down. What we do know is that pop's most standard beat, 128 beats per minute, think of the Bee Gees, I think um, Staying Alive is well known for being Mm. being at that beat, that consistently comes last. So you think that it Mm. might need a bit of bounce and pop, but actually that the ballads have done just as well. You think of 2017, Portugal, Salvador Sobral, this little jazz, woe sort of minstrel's waltz. He won. It was a beautiful song. Since 2012, some stats. 12 winners have performed in a minor key and three recent winners, well up on average odds, have all been in the key of D minor, including Conchita Verst. Um, What else? If you're going to talk about the weather, talk about the rain, don't talk about the sun, don't talk about your heart, even if you're Celine Dion, it won't do you any favours. And the whole fabled key change thing, that really is a thing of the past. Unless you've got Celine's pipes, don't bother. And uh, there are no key changes um, in that kind of old traditional format this year at all. So you're up in Liverpool, aren't you? I am. I am. Do you know, my heart wants to be at home with my friends that I always watch it with. And my head says, this might not happen again. <laughs> so yes. Yeah. So are you? you're going to be there live? I am going to be in the arena on Saturday night. Oh, yes. my goodness, Caroline! Yes.
0: a dream come true. So who should we be watching this year?
1: Well, so there are a couple of favourites. Finland has done very well and its through, which is kind of... It's been described as metal meets J-pop meets acid ballroom, which sounds <laughs> unmissable. But the, the standout favourite is Loreen, and this is the one woman reason I do not ever claim to be Queen of Eurovision, because that is for Lorene only. She won in 2014 for Sweden with Euphoria, which is up there with Johnny Logan as one of the ultimate Eurovision bangers. She's the bookies' hot favourite again with her song Tattoo. And if she wins, she'll be only the second person after Johnny to do the double. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman. She sums up everything that is so positive about Eurovision. I interviewed her for the Radio Times, which is in this week's issue. And she said she would never expected to be on this path. But... The universe just had other plans. So as well as the UK, May Muller, good effort. I'm not a fan of a diss song. Don't be negative. (laughs) But um, I think it is uh, catchy. She'll do well to be on the left-hand side of the board, but my heart is with Sweden on Saturday night. That is the grand final. And will there
0: be a party afterwards?
1: Oh, my goodness. They will be partying like the Beatles never existed in Liverpool on Saturday night. I think people, even the likes of Bjorn Alvarez from Abba, who won back in '74, you know he's never visited a Eurovision Song Contest since. Even he has said he might be tempted to go to Liverpool, not just because of the contest, not just because of all the, the sequins, the, the schmoozing, the splendour, but because it's so right. Liverpool is a city like no other that can boast a musical heritage in the UK. And I just feel that all the elements have come together. There's been a buzz all week in Liverpool. They've had concerts, They've had events put on to celebrate this happening. And I think the points will be told up on Saturday, overrunning BBC One, probably 11.30 or later. But I think that party will be going well into next week. Well, that sounds like an
0: absolute hoot. Who's going to be taking us through Eurovision? Who's hosting?
1: Oh, this is good fun. So back when I was in the audience for the ninety-eight. Uh, The last time the UK hosted, it was Terry Wogan and Ulrika Johnson, who reminded us she's Swedish, and my goodness, she can speak a lot of languages. This time around, we have Alicia Dixon, very seasoned TV presenter, very safe pair of hands. Hannah Waddingham, woman du jour, famous now for Ted Lasso, but also a West End star, very charismatic Just the right pick, I think. And also for the grand final itself on Saturday night, Graham Norton, who will be skipping down from his commentary perch. So we get him for most of the evening as a TV audience, but he will also be on stage, which again, I think is, is... extremely fitting. And I can't think of anybody better to be in those roles. So I think they've made just the right decision, a balance of different things. But also a key element is a nod to Ukraine's participation. Joining them will be Ukrainian singer Julia Sanina, and she will be very much a part of the event as well. Well,
0: I think if one person is synonymous for me with Eurovision, it's got to be Graham. Good old Graham. So listeners, you can tune into that on Saturday night, BBC One at 8pm we wish you the happiest and most joyful Saturday evening and until next week happy Happy viewing. viewing